Hello, and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger, and my guest today is Tal Ben-Shahar, a leading expert in the science of happiness. He's a best-selling author and lecturer who taught two of the largest classes in Harvard University's history. He's the co-founder of the Happiness Studies Academy, and he launched the world's first master's degree in happiness studies in collaboration with Centenary University. I can't think of anyone more qualified to help us cultivate more happiness in our lives. His one real good thing for doing that is to help someone around you shine. Listen to find out what he means by that and why it makes such a big difference. Tal Ben-Shahar, welcome to One Real Good Thing. It is great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I am so inspired by you. I just really just reading your website and seeing all your work. I feel enlightened just doing that. And I know this is going to be a terrific conversation. No pressure, but I I, I know that, <laughs> that that's going to be the truth. Um, you say on your website that my purpose in life is to bring happiness to life. So what do you mean by that? And how did you get into studying happiness? I'd love to hear a little bit about your path. Uh, sure. So I, I became interested in happiness because of my own unhappiness. So I was, uh, I was an undergraduate at Harvard studying computer science. And uh, I found myself in my second year doing very well academically, doing well in sports. I played squash. Uh, doing quite well socially, and yet I was very unhappy. And it didn't make sense to me because, you know, I, I checked the boxes, so to speak. And I thought, well, I, I, I should be happy, and, and I wasn't. And um, I decided, you know, one, one day to, to change course. And, and I did, and I switched from uh, computer science to philosophy and psychology and that was uh, 30 years ago, and uh, I've been on that, and that path ever since. And um, studying philosophy and psychology actually really did help. So I, I discovered uh, some uh, interesting ideas from, from um, Aristotle and Lao Tzu all the way to Sonia Lubomirsky and Marty Seligman that uh, literally changed my life for the better, and I wanted to share what I'd learned with others, and that's why I decided to teach. It's so wonderful. You're such a good teacher. It's such an approachable way that you that you bring this to life. And, and I really value that because I think sometimes these concepts can seem so air, airy and ephemeral or like super scientific sounding and the way you bring it to life. And especially with your one real good thing, which we're going to dive more deeply into, um, which is make someone around you shine, which maybe people don't typically associate that with their own happiness. So I'm excited to explore that. But even before then, I wanted to understand how is how do you define happiness? Like what how does it, it this is a science, the science of happiness. So obviously you need a definition. So how is that defined? Yeah. So first of all, there are as many definitions as there are people. And there's no one right definition, but we do need a definition so that we know uh, what to explore, what to pursue and hopefully attain. So my definition of happiness, which is really a synthesis of uh, the works of uh, philosophers and, and psychologists and neuroscientists, is that happiness comprises five elements. These elements are spiritual well-being, physical well-being, intellectual 
well-being, relational, and finally, emotional well-being. And if um, you look at these five words, spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional, they make up the acronym SPIRE. And um, so spiritual well-being is about a sense of meaning and purpose or about being mindful. Physical well-being is about physical exercise. It's about nutrition, of course. It's about rest and relaxation. Uh, uh, Intellectual well-being, the eye of SPIRE, is about curiosity. It's about learning. Uh, engagement with uh, text or with nature or with art. Uh, Relational well-being is, uh, of course, the number one predictor of happiness. Uh, It's quality time we spend with people we care about and who care about us. It's about kindness and generosity. And finally, emotional well-being is dealing with painful emotions and cultivating pleasurable ones. It's amazing because this podcast, I'm a, I'm a dietitian. This podcast is, I wanted to make it more than just about food and more encompassing wellness and well being with different topics. And as you're saying this, I didn't realize that all of the topics I really cover are part of your spire. So I guess maybe this is a wellness, this is a, a happiness podcast after all. So Look, I, I, I don't want to create an identity crisis here for this <laughs> podcast. It's, nutrition is good. <laughs> Fair enough, but it's okay because it, it all works together. And I think it's that web that's really what is important to really look at, that it's no one thing, even though this podcast is called One Real Good Thing and we pinpoint one thing, it really is this web of many different factors that come together to create well-being. So, and, um, at- Yeah, and Ellie, this, this is a very important point. You know, uh, people often um, uh, wonder why our first, during our first couple of weeks, whether it's in the certificate program or the master's degree program, we introduce our students to systems thinking. And they say, you know, what, what is systems thinking got to do with happiness? You know, this would be, a, you know, the business school or, or maybe in, in a physics uh, department, but it has a lot to do with happiness because when you understand that the individual is a system and is a part of a system, what you realize is that everything is interconnected. And the main thing about systems thinking is identifying leverage points. In other words, points that you can that you can that you can press, that you can um, change in order to change the rest. Now, nutrition is a leverage point. Now, we also know that exercise is a leverage point and will affect what we eat. So they're interconnected, uh, as is you know whether or not we we meditate or the kind of relationships that we have are also related to every other point in the system. So whether you find that one thing, which is your leverage point, or whether you um, you identify your leverage point as your diet or your exercise regime or your relationships, where you start matters less. What matters more is that everything is interconnected and related. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and so well put. And so interesting to think about these leverage points, because these are the things that you have control over, essentially. And there's so many factors that were around us that we have no control over, and it can be overwhelming. But then when you think about it in terms of these leverage points, they're really action points, um, places where you can take action, where you have control over your life and your health and your well-being and your happiness. So, And, and you know why that matters so much? Because um, if you think about it, the difference between sadness and depression is that depression is sadness without hope. We all experience sadness at times. It's you know, part and parcel of, of, of any life, including a happy life. The question, though, is does this depression 
um, deteriorate, spiral down into depression. Um, and it won't if we have hope. Now, systems understanding of the individual and of uh, one's ecosystem gives us hope because it says there are leverage points. There are places where you can introduce change and that can make a big difference. So are we having a happiness crisis in the USA? It seems like if you read the news and you, you see what's going on in the media, it seems like people are are struggling with their mood, with their happiness more than ever. And I'm not sure if that's actually true or if that is just the reading of it from the, the pulse of the media. Yeah, unfortunately, it is true, not just in the U.S., uh, but uh, around the world. So levels of depression and anxiety are extremely high now. They were extremely high pre-COVID. They're even higher today, uh, which is why, of course, the science of happiness matters so much because introducing many of these interventions doesn't just contribute to the happy person becoming happier. It also helps us become more resilient, meaning better able to deal with hardships and difficulties. So what is it about our culture, this time, this time in the world that impedes our happiness? Yeah, so if I had to distill the essence of the reason why, it would be because we are running away or moving away, rather, from nature. You know, um, when uh, when I grew up, what, what did we do in the afternoon as kids? You know, we were outdoors. We would run around, you know, play hide uh, hide and seek or, uh, or, or soccer or whatever. Um, and then, you know, we would go home in the evening and then we'd have a relatively healthy dinner. And, uh, and we, you know, we'd go to bed. Today, what do kids do in the afternoon? Well, they um, usually are on their computers or on their smartphones. And they very often eat uh, processed uh, fast food of, uh, of, of some kind. So we're running away from nature. And by the way, think back 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago, we were even closer to nature because you know, as hunters and gatherers, we would exercise regularly. There was no, you know, there were no fast food change, uh, chains. There was no um, uh, processed food. Um, so we have made a great deal of progress, of course, within, within medicine and, uh, and, and technology in general, but there isn't just an upside to it. There is a real downside to it. Yeah. Um, my husband runs a nature school actually. So I'm very tapped into the science and very aware of that relationship between getting outside and, and simply taking a walk outside for 10 minutes can just change your life completely. It's just, or change your day, change your mood, change your perspective. It's just remarkable. So I, I agree about that. That's it's, it, it's a lot. And, um, and we need to, and we have the leverage. That's a, a good to know, but I do want to dive into your one real good thing. So there are obviously so many things in this spire that, um, as you, as you put it, that contribute to happiness, but you're saying that the number one is relational and that's how we connect with other people. And so you had, uh, we're, we're pinpointing, make someone around you shine as your one real good thing, one thing to focus on today, one thing that people can do really right now to improve their happiness. Why did you pick this thing? And why does it matter so very much? Yeah. 
So the, um, you know, the soundbite or sentence that I repeat over and over again to my students, uh, clients, to my kids and to myself is, if you want to be in the light, help those around you shine. If you want to be in the light, help those around you shine. And um, first of all, on a physical level, it's true. If people shine around you, you're in the light. Uh, but not just on the physical, on the spiritual level as well. So we know, and there's a lot of research on it, and we don't need research because we've experienced it. When we make other people feel good about themselves, um, we um, we feel better about ourselves immediately. In fact, helping other people, whether it's through acts of kindness, whether it's through charity, whether it's through listening or being there for another person is arguably, and again, there's a lot of data on it, the most powerful way of enhancing our own happiness levels and our levels of resilience. In other words, our ability to deal with hardship. So how, what is the mechanism there? What's going on? So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. And I don't know if there is a clear answer to that other than to say it's in our nature. You know, we are so constituted that contributing to others also contributes to ourselves. And I think it's a wonderful thing. Because many people say, well, you know, if you give others um, and you benefit from it, is that real giving? I think that's a, that's a non-starter because what, what do you mean it, real giving? <laughs> there is no other form of giving. We feel good about ourselves when we give. And it's a wonderful thing that we need to celebrate, not to, not to, um, um, to use it as, um, as, as, um, as an issue, as a problematic part of our nature. I think it's wonderful that we were created in the way that to, to, to be generous to others is also to be generous to ourselves. In fact, let me take it a step further. There is so much benefit to us um, helping others that I sometimes think that there is no more selfish act than a generous act. And I'm purposely bringing together um, generosity and selfishness because in our culture, there's a very clear distinction being made you're either selfish, which means you're a bad person, immoral even, or you're selfless, in other words, moral, kind. Whereas the two go hand in hand, in fact. So rather than talking about being selfish or selfless, we need to talk about being selfful. Mm. We're selfful when we help others shine and consequently shine ourselves. I love that. I, we actually did an episode on this podcast uh, called Reap the Rewards of Volunteering with the CEO of Feeding America. And we talked exactly about that. So if anyone wants to go back and and check that out and dive into that, the, the real feeling that you get from volunteering. But I think one thing that's happening here, if you're making other people shine, is that it helps you form bonds with people. And it's those bonds and that type of socializing. And, and that's what creates friendships, really. When people feel good in your presence and then you feel good in their presence, there's this deep connection that develops over time. And friendship, that type of relationship and those social connections are what keep us healthy and well and happy over life. And that creates resilience too, having strong relationships, because those are the people you can count on. Yeah, it's exactly right. You know, in, in research over the past, hundred years or so, time and time again, it was shown that the number one predictor of happiness and the number one predictor of physical health, social uh, relationships or a supportive social structure. You look at it also on the national level, the happiest countries in the world 
you know, they're, they're not the countries you would you would expect to be the happiest. So the happiest countries are, uh, you know, some of the Scandinavian countries, uh, Latin America, Israel, Australia. You know, wh- why these countries are not others? One distinguishing characteristic in those countries, supportive social relationships, a supportive structure, a supportive system. And so when you're helping other people shine, you're also thinking outside yourself. You're being part of something bigger than you. You're getting less wrapped up in your own stuff and your own head and your own um, thought process. And you're, and you're actually extending past yourself. And I think that's a big part of it, whether it's a one-on-one thing or if it's working in a community and volunteering and, and helping other people shine in that way. Um, and, and respecting people and connecting with people that way. Um, but so it's that getting out of your own head that I think exactly. can be very you know, there's, a, there's a wonderful book by uh, uh, Kaplan Thaler and, uh, and Koval called The Power of Nice. And in The Power of Nice, they talk about how, you know, being nice for, uh, to others in, or nice is the most powerful four-letter word they know and they add, and it's a lot cheaper than therapy. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. And actually, I did, and I did another episode, Be Kinder Than You Have to Be. Mm. Because, and that was, it struck me, my yo- it was with my yoga teacher, actually, this conversation. And I was in yoga, and she said that. And I said, because I consider myself a kind person, but am I kinder than I kind of just baseline have to be? <laughs> and it pushed me. And it made a big difference in how mm. I felt. It's just remarkable. So, so when we say make someone around you shine, we're talking a little bit about the specifics here as in our conversation, but just to kind of give people ideas that they could like harness right now. So it could be as simple as maybe opening a door for someone as they enter a shop or. It, it can be. It can also be uh, about, you know, giving a compliment you know, uh, Mark Twain once said, I can live uh, for two weeks on a good compliment. Um, and uh, so, 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 so doing so or uh, listening, you know, listening is emerging as, uh, as an incredibly important uh, trait skill uh, to develop. And I'll say a few more words about this. So the number one predictor of extraordinary leadership now that is leadership in a business or, uh, or politics or leadership at home as a parent. Number one characteristic, not charisma. It's not eloquence. It's not how brilliant or strategic you are. It's your ability to listen. And this is a a very powerful example of how when we listen, we, you know, we help others, of course, you know, children who are listened to grow up to be more confident adults, Uh, employees in an organization who are listened to are more likely to stay in the workplace, which is extremely important, especially now with the great resignation. Uh, Couples who listen, really listen to each other, are much much more likely to enjoy long-term, healthy, happy, and passionate relationship. So, um, you know, listening is, is a great example of how we help the other shine and benefit from their halo as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then listening is a very active process. I think many people think of it as passive. I find it tiring, actually, and mm. not in a bad way. But it to me, it shows that I put energy into listening to somebody. Um, my husband teases me because if he's talking to me on we're walking on the street, sometimes I'll just have to stop 
stop walking to really fully listen to him, which I guess I should be able to walk and listen at the same time, but. (laughs) (laughs) And chew gum. (laughs) And chew gum. Yeah, maybe. I have to work on that. But absolutely. So listening, complimenting, doing small acts of kindness. Um, So it doesn't really take that much, but really you see this build and then you maybe build habits of your own into doing this on a regular basis. And then this becomes cumulative and it's making the other person shine. You're not even doing it for yourself. You're doing it because other makes other people happy. And then that reflects back at you. I mean, just what an incredible, beautiful notion. Yeah. And you know, the, um, there, there are a few important ideas here. One important idea is that you're not focusing on becoming happier. You're focusing on the other person. And a byproduct of that is that you do become happier. And, um, and, and that's important because this, this research uh, came out recently by Iris Moss uh, from San Diego. And what she showed is that if we wake up in the morning and say to ourselves, I want to be happy or happiness is an important value for me. Um, What happens is that we actually become less happy. And that's a problem because there are so many benefits to to being happier, whether it's health benefits, whether it feels good to feel good, whether our relationships improve. So there are so many benefits to happiness. But if I say to myself, I want to be happier or I'm pursuing happiness, I'll become less happy. What do we do about this? Well, what we do about this is we pursue happiness indirectly. And you know, the analogy that I use to, to, to explain this, which, which helped me better understand this idea, is, um, uh, is the following. So you go out um, and the sun is shining. And you look, at the, you look at the sun and what happens when you look at it directly? It hurts you. Um, you don't benefit from it. Um, However, what if you take that same sunlight and break it down, say using a prism, and you break it down, and then you look at the output through the prism, you're looking at the colors of the rainbow that you can look at and enjoy. So looking at the sun directly hurts. Looking at it indirectly helps. It's the same with happiness. Pursuing it directly hurts us. Indirectly looking or pursuing the metaphorical colors of the rainbow, that contributes to our happiness. What are these metaphorical colors of the rainbow? Um, Spire elements. One of them is be generous, be kind, cultivate healthy relationships or exercise. You know, so if I wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to eat more healthfully, exercise more, maybe meditate a little bit, commit to an act of kindness beyond what I usually do. These are all indirect ways of pursuing happiness, of becoming happier. It's just incredible. I love that. I love that image of the rainbow coming through the prism there. I'm going to, I'm going to work with that personally. And I think all the listeners are too. Um, So tell us about your most recent book as we're, as we're closing out here. Yes. So my most uh, recent book is um, called happiness studies. And, um, it is uh, a book that introduces this um, relatively new field uh, of study. And I thought about it. The idea actually came to me in uh, 2015. I was on um, a transatlantic flight. And you know those states where you're absolutely exhausted on a flight, but too uncomfortable to fall asleep? 
I think we're, many of us are familiar with that. So I was in one of those states, and then a question came to me. And the question was, how is it that there is a field of study for uh, uh, history and biology and psychology, my field, and, and philosophy and, and medicine and education, and you name it, uh, but there's no field of study for happiness? Yeah, there is positive psychology, but that's just the psychology of happiness. What about what philosophers had to say about happiness? And what about what nutrition has to say, uh, the, the science of nutrition has to say about happiness? And what about what uh, uh, historians or neuroscientists or film or literature? Why isn't there a field or rather an interdisciplinary field of study that brings together these, um, these ideas that, that help to better understand, uh, pursue and attain happiness? And on that flight, uh, as soon as that question came up, I was no longer tired, I must admit. And from that flight and, and for the past eight years, this is what I've been doing, uh, being part of a, a group of uh, scholars and practitioners, and together we are creating this new field of happiness studies. So this is what my last book was about, just laying some of the frameworks for this uh, field. Oh, that's fascinating. And I'm so glad that you're diving into it because it is so important. So, so very deeply important to all of our lives. And thank you for making a difference. And tell us where we can find out more about you. Yes. So um, my website, which is talbenshahar.com, or if you want more information about our certificate programs and the master's program, um, happiness studies, all one word, dot academy. Excellent. Well, I'll also have the links on my website page. So um, I hope everyone um, takes that opportunity to learn more and definitely takes the time to make someone around them shine today and every day. I know I'm inspired to do that. So thank you, uh, Tal Ben-Shahar. I appreciate your being here and for all of your, all of your wisdom. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you, Ellie. Thanks for listening. I hope you make a point of helping someone around you shine today. And I hope you'll join me next time for another One Real Good Thing.